0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. This past week, we went down to Fripp, which is off the coast of Beaufort, and um, there was a virus. There was like 35 people down there, and a virus was going around. And um, so Tuesday night, I wasn't feeling very well. Went home, went to sleep, and we had a, a big golf tournament Wednesday. Uh, which I did not win. Um, I, anyway. So had a golf tournament Wednesday, and it was like 150 degrees outside, and by hole six, that thing had just jumped on my back. But being a good teammate, I finished through, and it was about 3 o'clock, and so I went home, got in a shower, and like collapsed on the floor. And uh, so I start throwing up, and this, happened, this was for about three or four hours, and then I moved to throwing up nothing, and I couldn't even keep water down, couldn't even keep Gatorade down. And so my in-laws left me there to fend for myself as I'm curled up on the floor at a toilet. And um, yeah, and so anyway, so I start throwing up bile, which I don't know if you guys are, I hate bile. Just the word bile. No, okay, but I'm already too committed. I'm committed to the story, so I got to finish it through. So anyway... By about 8 or 9 o'clock, I texted Beck, I said, look, i, I got to go to the emergency room. Uh, I've only been once before for a stomach deal. i got to go. I'm hurting. And so, so we, we go, and FRIP is like way down on the southern part of Beaufort. So it's like a 40-minute drive to the hospital. By the way, if you're ever going to get sick, Buford Hospital is on point. It's nice, it's clean, and it's quick. So we get in there, and apparently uh, they, they hooked me up to an IV, and apparently morphine is standard for nausea now. And so they, the guy's like, have you ever had morphine before? I said, I'm not real sure. He said, well, you're going to feel it, and it's going to feel real hot in here. And so, all right. was like, have you done it yet? He's like, no, I haven't. It's a pretty big dosage, so it's going to hit you all at once. And then like out of nowhere, I felt like my head was on fire. felt like my hands and my feet, and then I was just cool. I was just cool. And uh, so from then on in, I I mailed it in. We were there for about three hours, had like two bags. um, And anyway, I I really don't know why I told the story other than the fact that my stomach was hurting a little bit this morning. So anyway, (laughs) that was my week, so it feels really good to be here, um, kind of. But and another thing, let me be clear, it's not my fan club. 90% The 90% of them came in for a wedding of one of our good friends, but there are some fan club members back there who made it from Charleston and back in the back, which I appreciate the support. So anyway, uh, I do kind of want to call something out, and now I'm going to start pacing, I think. Um, I do want to call something out just before we get started. Um, we're going to be looking at Ephesians today, and we've been in Ephesians for 15 Sundays now. And I want to recognize that everybody who's coming here comes with a way different perspective of church, of God, of religion, of uh, experiences, of past circumstances, that we all kind of come here with a different paradigm. And that's okay. And that there is a real healthy element to folks being from different backgrounds, we look different, we act different. There's just a lot of different dynamics working together in one room. And so Whatever said today, whatever that is, is going to be brought through each one of our own personal grids. So we each have our own way of thinking and a way of digesting information based off of our past experiences. So I want to say I get that, and that's okay. And so my goal is to not give you five points or a couple good things to take back with you or anything like that. My goal is that today the word would hit you wherever you're at. Wherever that is, and we're all in different places. Uh, Hebrews four, twelve through 13. It's, it, this is one of my favorite things about Scripture. Hebrews four, twelve through 13. I think we're supposed to have it on the screen. There it is. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight But all are naked and exposed in the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So that summed up says, I was talking to a couple of guys, um, sometimes we refer to Jesus as like the holy hound dog because sometimes he just won't leave you alone for whatever reason. just kind of keeps coming after you about something, whether that means you don't know him or whether that means you do and he's working with you on something. And so I pray today that the holy hound dog finds each one of you wherever you're at. And we know that, that that verse summed up means that the word, when it's cracked open, when it's preached, when it's taught, when it's listened to, when it's read out loud, it goes straight for the sweet spot. And it's going to hit you wherever you're at, whether you like it or not. And so I hope that we're receptive to that this morning, whatever said, however it applies to you, because it's going to apply to each one of us differently. And that's okay. And so I, I kind of wanted to let everybody be at ease, even myself, that you know this, when I, when I was preparing a little bit for it, it applies to me way different than it may apply to you, and that's a good thing. So, in the nature of knowing that we all come from different backgrounds, a lot of you in here know a little bit about my story. I'm gonna give you a little snapshot uh, of who I am, and then we can get going. Um, so, I, I grew up in a, in a in a pretty religious home, in a, in a Christian home, and uh, went to church Wednesdays, Sundays, and uh, so I knew the Bible. I actually, um, I, I, even, I even felt like guilty about stuff from an early age. I remember, um, and I think my parents will remember this. So I, I had issues sleeping alone, which is probably incriminating <laughs> as we're up here. But I would always rather sleep with my younger brothers for some reason, just because I got scared, I guess, even when I was 14. And uh, so I would, I even felt guilty about, my parents would be like, all right, everybody's going to sleep in their own rooms tonight nobody's going to move. We're all going to have a good night's sleep. I said, yeah, okay. And so as soon as they go in their room, bam, I'd hop and just jump in one of the beds. And uh, I would even feel guilty from an early age because I would write a little note and slide it under my parents' door. I said, if this is disobeying, move me back to my own bed. And they never did. I mean, what, I mean, who would do that? Your kids asleep. But, so they didn't. So I even felt, the reason I tell you that is I even felt guilty or I felt conviction early on, but I didn't know Jesus. I knew religion, I knew church, I knew a little bit about the Bible. I mean, I even remember being in high school, I would carry my Bible in one hand and my football in the other, which looking back, I don't know why I did that, but I did. And so, fast forward, athletics was a big part of my life, had some success in it, went to high school my senior year, and um, I prided myself on morality, being a good person, doing good things, just not really doing bad things. So whatever the opposite of not doing bad things was, that's what I tried to do. And ended up, the only girl I've ever had sex with, I got her pregnant. And so it was kind of a whirlwind from this moral guy to the only girl I had sex with, I got her pregnant. And about a month later, I remember sitting down, it was, and I know my parents remember this vividly. It's this probably the first time they've heard this since actually walking through it, um, I remember sitting in my living room, and her parents are there, she's there, I'm there, my parents are there, and her parents said, you know, this is our daughter, we, we really care for Justin, but we're going to have an abortion. And so I was 17 years old, just the weight of that hitting me, that's kind of the real first heaviness I think I felt in my life. And so uh, I, I remember driving her to the abortion clinic, 17 years old, we're sitting there and she, and she gets an abortion. And it was about a month later um, that the Lord used that, among other things, to save me, to call me to himself, to hunt me down, to find me. And um, it was February 23rd, 2006. Let me see the tattoo. I didn't want to forget the date. So I remember sitting sitting in the living room with my dad, one of his friends, and um, the Spirit of the Lord was heavy there. And it was just like, Justin, he's like, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm like, but like, everything I kept bringing to the table is like, I love you. I love you. I love you. And I don't know if any of you who are walking with Christ know, what, what can you do but say yes, Lord? In that moment, what, what can you do other than respond and say, I trust you? And so that's what I did, and I'll fast forward. Went to college. That's a lot of my dearest friends in life are here in the room um, that I met in college and we did life together and football never really worked out and that's okay. I learned a lot um, from not being very good in college. I learned a lot about humility, about trusting the Lord. And so now as you fast forward to where I'm at in my life and, and Beck and I are, are at it's how do, you, how do you get up and go to work every day? How do you, how do you serve in a church? How do, you, uh, how do you come home every night? How, how are you faithful to the same woman? How do you be content with where the Lord has you? How do you be excellent in what you do? And so for me, I'm in a lot more practical phase of my life of learning what it means to continue to walk with the Lord. And so I wanted to share that with you just so you know kind of what my, what my grid looks like, where I'm coming from. And so let me pray, and then we can get, we can get started. Christ, I'm thankful for this morning. I'm thankful, uh, as Jonathan prayed earlier, I'm thankful for the book of Ephesians for its place in the gospel. I'm thankful for the opportunity to come up here. I pray that I would serve your people well, Lord, that the word would be read aloud, and Holy Spirit, that you would move me or anyone else out of the way um, for what you may be trying to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we believe in expository preaching. Expository preaching means that, left up to our own, Dale, myself, and Randy... We would really just preach in our wheelhouse, whatever that may be for each one of us. So we like to work through a book of the Bible, and we chose Ephesians for a reason. I'm about to talk about that. We go verse by verse. And so some of you have been here every Sunday. You know we've been at a, a very careful pace, might be the right word. We've been trugging through because it's been 15 Sundays, and we are just now halfway through the second chapter. So... It's important because some of us, it's hit or miss in the summer. Some people come, some people are out of town, in town. So what I want to do is, is catch you up real quick, real quick, on what the book of Ephesians is, what's been going on in it, because it, it sets up, because if you look at it, it's so easy when you look at a book of the Bible, you don't look at it as a letter. I mean, think about an email you got. I mean, obviously Paul didn't email the Ephesians, but that's what it would be like today. This is a long email, really long email. And it was a letter to people that he had spent his life, a part, part of his life with. So the, the church in Ephesus is, well, Ephesus, first of all, is a, a trade city. It, it, it's right there on um, trade routes, and so it had a lot of people coming in and out. It's a very transient community, a lot like Myrtle Beach. It's about 300,000 people, which in ancient times, that's, that's a lot of people, which the greater Myrtle Beach area is about 300,000 people as well. And, they, ha- they were famous, uh, Ephesus that is, for little trinkets uh, because they had the temple of Artemis which was something that people came from all around to see. So I don't know what that would be here, like uh, the sky wheel or whatever is famous here in a relative sense is what they would come and they would come from all over. And so it was, it was real real popular for people just to come in and leave, come in and leave, come in and leave. <laughs> you know, the, uh, Randy talks about those... Uh, those Myrtle Beach shirts, you get, like, I was in Myrtle Beach a spray, because I was thinking, I was like, did they have, like, spring break AD 30, (laughs) Ephesus? Like, what what, what was, what were they, spray painting cloths or something? (laughs) That was a funny thought to me. Um, (laughs) So, anyway, um, Ephesus was a group of people that Paul was on a missionary journey, and he came through Ephesus, and he heard people talking about John the Baptist. He heard them talking about, Jesus. And so he's like, let me peel off in here and and let, let me dialogue with these guys. So it's about 12 dudes. Next thing you know, he's there for two years and he is discipling and investing and pouring his life out into these guys. And he spends his two years with them showing them what it means to walk with God, how to share the gospel, and how to plant and have a healthy church. And so Ephesus has a church in the city of Ephesus and churches all around the city of Ephesus. So they've actually done a really good job at planting churches. So that's why we chose the book of Ephesians because we hope that in whatever it is, five years, 10 years, 15, 100 years, whatever it is, that we're looked back as men and women that were faithful in planning a church. And so that's why we chose the book of Ephesians. Um, the entire first chapter It talks about individuality stuff, stuff that's going on inside with you, what the Father has done, what the Son does in redemption, what the Spirit does in sealing us in Christ. Chapter 2, the first 10 verses, talks about who we were outside of Christ. And last week, we hit a, a pretty good transition point. So now Paul's like, let me change gears in the email here. Let me talk Stop talking about individual stuff. Let me talk about community and unity. And so verse 11 and 12, which is what Dale worked through last week, and he did a good job. It's a tough text, um, makes the transition to talking about unity amongst believers. Because it doesn't register with us now, but if, if, you, if, you've, if you have any, any history of reading the Bible, there's always this contrast of Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile, circumcised and uncircumcised. That was a really big deal back then. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like a very big deal now, but it was a big deal because Israel or the Jews were God's chosen people. They had access to all the goods, spiritually and even a lot of physical blessings. And it was like, as we, as we learned last week, Gentile means in the Greek ethnos, which is our word for ethnic. So it's like Jews, everybody else. And so the Jews did not like the Gentiles at all. And so when Gentiles become saved, and you got Jews that are saved now, like, what do we do? This, this guy looks different than me. He worship, He eats barbecue. He, he worships different than me. They got different sayings. How do you? That's a square peg in a round hole. What do you do? And so Paul, because the church in Ephesus is all Gentiles, Paul. In verse 11 and 12 says, hey, wait a second, guys. Let me remind you of what Christ has done. Here in verse 12, it says, remember that you were one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. So verse 11 and 12 says, guys, you, you, you are made one now. There, there's, there's one man and one person under Christ, and that's redeemed. So there's no longer, it made a transition from actually a, a racial issue, are you black or white, are you Jew or are you Gentile, to now it's a spiritual issue because of Christ. Because Christ coming, put a, a lightning bolt in the center of time and said, now things are gonna be different. So now it's either you're saved and redeemed by Christ or you're not. It has nothing to do with color or race or ethnicity or history or patterns or anything has strictly to do with do you know Christ or do you not? So we're going to get going. I spent a lot of time backgrounding there more than I wanted. We're going to read verse uh, 13 through 16. Will you guys stand with me real quick and let's read the word together? Um, I think we have it. Do we have it up there? Yeah. <clears throat> but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Thank you. You guys can sit down. <laughs> Be- Becca told me to make sure I said sit down because I was going through it. I was kind of practicing a little bit, and I didn't say sit down. But... So it's real easy to just talk about what's going on in there, and I don't want to do that. We've kind of been honed in on the text and staying in the context because that's one really, really neat thing about Scripture is that it meant something to the Ephesians in whatever it was, AD 50 80-60, AD but it also means something to us now. It's equally as applicable. So what I want to do is pull out just a couple of things and say, let's talk about how I might tease itself out for us today. And my, my hope is this morning, and we already talked a little bit about it, is not that a, uh, um, a five-step process or a couple of neat points that you go back and, and change the behavior, or that any of us leave here and like, man, I feel really good. Let, let me go be nice to or, or whatever it may be. My goal this morning is the Holy Spirit would hunt us down And we would be so moved and shifted in our hearts to know what Jesus did for us, or, if we don't know Jesus, to know what enmity and hostility exists between us and Jesus. And that we'd be so moved and affected in our hearts that we'd have to change. That we'd be compelled to change. So, the first thing I want to talk about is I mean, we're going to talk about three points: racial hostility, kind um, of threw me off there. Racial hostility, workplace hostility, and family and marital hostility. Those are just three points. Some of those may apply to you. Some of them may not. You got, you may be really good at work, really good in the home, and really good with people who look different than you. But it's something. It's something for each one of us. There's something where we still let hostility exist because there's three really, really key words in there that I want to pick out. The first word is hostility. Hostility is deep-seated, usually mutual, ill will, and opposition. That means, pretty clear, is that there's tension, okay? Because Paul says, Christ has broken down in his flesh the wall of hostility, in the context, he's talking to the Jews and Gentiles like, look, it's no longer a color issue, guys. But for our sake, we're going to shelf that and remember, okay, hostility is tension and issues. The second word is peace. Peace is total well-being, prosperity, and security as associated with God's presence. So in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, that word is shalom. So, They talk about the shalom of Christ or the peace of God. The peace of God existed in the Garden of Eden. So The shalom of God in the Old Testament was only for the Jews. And it was a sporadic basis where God gave his peace as a gift. In the New Testament we see we have access to peace or total well-being, prosperity and security through Christ in faith. So now we have access to the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding is what Philippians describes it as. The third word I kind of wanted to find, and then then we'll get going, and I said that before, but we haven't got going yet, is um, reconcile, to restore to friendship or harmony. So Paul uses three words in here, hostility, peace, reconcile. We have to first understand that there is a real issue naturally between us and God. So let's lay it all out there. Let's establish a couple house rules so that we know what, what context we're working inside. So apart from what Jesus did on the cross, he took all of our sins, he died, he's resurrected, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. He did it for no other reason than the fact that he loves us, without us loving him, wanting to love him, or being capable of loving him. Without that act, we're dead to rights. We have the justful wrath of God. Because Adam in the Garden of Eden represented all of us. And if you've spent any time with us here at Doxa, we've talked about it. That's called federal headship. That just means one dude represented everybody. Whether we like it or not, those are the house rules. He sinned. If we were in there, we'd have done the same thing. Period. Because Adam represented us and he fell, he sinned, he disobeyed God, things got turned upside down. The order of the world was distorted. Things are not right. That's why my stomach hurt, because my body is not right. That's why there's volcanoes and tornadoes, is because this world is not right. It will only be made right when Christ comes back and makes all things new, like he talks about in Revelation 20, verse 4. And we hope for that, we look forward to that, but right now, as it stands, without Christ, we have the entire world Wrath of God coming right at us. Christ steps in and says, I'll take it for them because I love them. And that's what I felt the moment I got saved when he said, I love you. I love you. I said, but what about this? I've already paid for it. I love you. I love you. So there's only, there's only two situations. Either you know them or you don't. That's it. So when we talk about hostility, peace, and reconciliation, hostility existed between us and God first, Christ came, and it says he is our peace, and now we've been reconciled to him. That's the order of what has happened. So let's, we're going to talk about racial hostility, workplace hostility, and family and marital hostility in the context that maybe there's some tension or issues in our own life in one of those areas. So when I, when I think of, first of all, when I think of racial hostility, I think about segregation black and white issues, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, whatever it may be. But for the sake of our time this morning, racial hostility is going to represent a little more than that. It's going to represent the issues between classes of people, people that are poor, people that are rich, and people that look differently than us, act differently than us, or in nature are different than us. So racial hostility is not just a color thing, it's a class thing. And it's a difference thing. So when we see folks that look different than us, for example, a couple, couple scenarios. What do you think about when you see an interracial couple walking down our street? What do you think when you see a homeless man asking for food? And look, I, I've had some of these thoughts this week that I'm talking about. So I, I know that they're thoughts that we think. What, what, do, you, what do you think about? when you see somebody dressed funny, or or looks different than you, or acts different than you, in public, in private, whatever it is, we immediately, I'll say we, I immediately go to their way is inferior, my way is superior, because I believe that. At my core, I believe that whatever they're doing is not as good or right, whatever they look like is not as good or as right the way I look like, the way I dress, the way I act, what I think, what I believe. And that plays itself out in relationships that I have with people that are different than me. It exists horizontally, meaning it exists in those relationships for me because I'm not understanding the real hostility that existed this way first. Because if I truly believed that I was an unholy race, that I was the one in the room that looked different, that was different, that was a weirdo, that skin color was different, because in a spiritual sense, I was. Standing before Christ, I'm the one that's out. I'm the odd man out. I'm the unholy race. And Jesus said, not only do I love you how you are, I love you because you are. If I truly understood that relationship, and I truly felt moved in my heart and compelled, I wouldn't have these horizontal issues or racial hostility with people that look different or act different or are different than me. I wouldn't have those judgmental thoughts when I see different people, but I do. And that's because I don't treasure what Jesus has made right for me. We'll keep moving. So the second point is workplace hostility. Work is a good thing, despite how all of us hate that the fact tomorrow is Monday morning. Work is a really good thing. It's an eternal thing, so we've got to get used to it. It's something that we will do in the new heavens and new earth. We talked about how things are not right right now. Well, when Christ comes back and makes things right, he renews and restores Work is one of the things that he will restore and make it right. Because Adam, in the garden, sin, work is now something that stinks. It says that we will work by the sweat of our brow. But when God comes and, and he makes things new and, and in, in the new heavens and new earth, we will work. We will all have jobs. That is a good thing. So, If God puts that much value on work, we should probably at least talk about it for a second. If vocation and work and the structure of working and laboring and putting our hands to something, because that's the way we were made to do, then it's probably worth talking about. So that's why why I put it in there. I know for me, at work, uh, whether it's somebody gets a promotion... Whether it's somebody uh, gets to take off early, or this person makes this amount of money, or I don't like my job here, or my boss is treated unfairly, treated me unfairly, or whatever it may be, whatever issue you may have at work, whatever hostility, maybe it's you don't like a coworker, maybe it's, hey, I, I really don't care for my job, I don't like what I do, or however that plays itself, fill in the blank in your own life. Whatever that means. Maybe, maybe you're working part-time somewhere and you don't like it. You're looking for a full-time job. Whatever it is. Our requirement, if we're understanding rightly what Christ has done for us, which has killed hostility, stepped in and said, I am the peace that you need, and reconciled us to the creator of the universe. Let's not downplay the fact that the wrath of God is unspeakably bad. And it is just, and it is right, and it is good, and we deserve it. He stepped in, Jesus, and done those things. And he's commanded us to go out as agents, as warriors, as people who ferociously preach, live out, and act in peace and reconciliation. That's the command. Because if we're not doing it this way, it's because we don't really get it was done this way. And I don't do that. Kyle, tell you, I am not necessarily an agent of peace and reconciliation in my workplace. And that's a big deal. Because, again, if it's a hard thing, if we're moved and corralled and stirred in our hearts and our spirits about what Christ has done. And I'm going to keep hammering that point because it's the biggest point of all. Because either he's done it for you, and you accept it and you treasure it and you love it, or he hasn't done it for you. And he can. And so if we understand the peace and the reconciliation that comes with a relationship with Christ, And it should play itself out in our horizontal relationships. With folks that look differently than us, act differently than us, and fundamentally are different than us. It should play itself out in our workplace. In a place where we spend a lot of our time. Are we warriors of reconciliation and peace? The same reconciliation and peace that we are given. Or by nature then, because it's not like you can just be in the middle. If you're not actively, if we're not actively preaching and loving peace and reconciliation, then we're passively loving hostility. It's, it's either or. It's not like hey, I'll just be neutral. I'll just hang in there and not really make a decision. So if, if peace doesn't exist, and we know that peace can only come through Christ, then by default, hostility exists. And so I hope Whatever it is, maybe again, maybe work is not your issue. Maybe racial stuff is not your issue. Whatever the issue is where hostility and enmity and a misunderstanding of peace and reconciliation exists, I pray that you leave here and that the holy hound dog hunts you down in that way. And so the last point we're going to talk about is family and Marital and family issues exist. They existed since Adam and Eve, the first husband and wife. They existed three chapters later with Cain and Abel, got brothers killing brothers. So there's always been family issues. Maybe it's a communication issue. Maybe it's an adultery issue. Maybe it's a communication with others. Maybe it's a disobedient child. Maybe it's a uh, a strange relationship with a father, a mother, a brother, a sister. Whatever it is, whatever, fill in your blank, wherever the hostility exists, why does it exist? It exists, number one, because we're a fallen people. We're broken, and we won't be made right until Jesus Christ returns and restores all things new. Number two, it probably exists... Not because of the other person, but because of us, because of the hostility that we still hold on to. Maybe it's unforgiveness, whatever whatever, whatever it looks like. Again, I, I don't know what it looks like because we're all different. So f- fill in your blank as we're talking. wherever the, the family and marital or whatever tension exists, fill in the blank. And again. The, the 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 point of all that of every one of those is that if it exists why does it exist it exists because we truly don't get what Jesus Christ did for us there's a famous theologian named Jonathan Edwards and uh, some of you guys have heard of him you, you literally need a college degree just to read his biography i mean he's one of the smartest human one of the smartest humans on the planet and he he gave an illustration one time and it's you guys probably heard it. He said, I can tell you what honey tastes like. I can tell you that it's a little bit sticky. It's very sweet. It's runny sometimes. It's fresh. It's succulent. You can taste it on everything. But until you actually eat honey, you don't really get it. You don't really get what honey tastes like until you taste it. And it's the same thing with the peace and reconciliation that Jesus Christ brings. I can talk about it for 28 minutes or however long it's been. But until you taste and see the peace and reconciliation that can only come from one place, you don't really get it. And the question is, If we have experienced that, and we have tasted it, and we have seen it, and we have felt it, and we do know how good that honey is, why does Justin's horizontal relationships not show that? Why do my relationships with different people at work, family, marriage, why do they not show that I am so overwhelmed by the love that Christ has shown me and the peace and the reconciliation that Christ has shown me that I can do nothing but show others the same peace and reconciliation. And the fourth point, we're going to head for home. And it's not up there, but this all comes back to an individual deal. It's an individual thing. We can talk about relationships out here, but it really goes down to one thing. Do you know Jesus? If you do, does hostility exist in your life? And if it does, where does it exist? And if you don't know Jesus, then I know that hostility exists in your life, whether you know it or not. And it exists one way, and it's down. It's from God to us. If you don't know him, and so that's the only two places we can land this morning. Either we know them and we've been given peace and reconciliation. Reconciliation, remember, means to bring back to friendship or harmony. It's not it's not a pitch count where he, how many strikes, how many balls have you thrown, how many good things, how many bad things. It's a no, you are forever reconciled. Done deal. Or you're under the wrath of God. And I don't know where you fall this morning. It's really not my place to know, but I hope that the Lord wrestles very, very deeply with each one of you wherever you're at. And so we're going to pray, and then we are going to have the band come up sing, and then for those of us who are believers, uh, we get to take communion together. So pray with me. Christ, I pray that your word would be living and active. That it would be heavy in here. That it would resonate with whoever it's supposed to resonate with. That it would say whatever it's supposed to say. That it would do whatever it's supposed to do. I pray that you would continue to be faithful. Lord, that we would leave not ready to change our behaviors, but we would leave ready to be furious and reckless agents of reconciliation and peace. who fanatically advance the gospel and break down the hostility continually that you've already broke down once and for all. So we love you, and we thank you in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.